Welcome to the Mariners Podcast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. It is day one post MLB trade deadline. Uh, on today's Mariners cast, we will review where the Mariners are in the standings. We will react to what transpired at the trade deadline, go over some of the reactions uh, nationally and the grades that the Mariners receive from uh, national writers and pundits. Um, we will talk a little bit about the local reaction that fans and um, talking heads on Twitter uh, had regarding the Mariners' um, activity or lack thereof at the deadline. We will cover the moves of the competitors in both the wildcard race and the AL West, um, expand a little bit on what we uh, talked about yesterday regarding the future in the AL West and what this trade deadline um, did for the Mariners' future. And then we will recap yesterday's game uh, dig a little bit into Trent Thornton, who came in and pitched uh, a very nice two and a third innings for the Mariners. Uh, he was acquired from the Blue Jays a couple of days ago. Uh, the introduction of a new pitch from Bryce Miller. Uh, or And uh, my initial thoughts on uh, Dominic, I'm going to keep calling him Canzoni, but uh, uh, on the broadcast they're calling him Canzone. And some of the other Mariner hitters, um, some of the typical Julio feedback. And then finally, we will uh, give the stats and kind of what to expect from the pitching matchup for today's game. Uh, Cutter Crawford uh, pitching for the Red Sox versus Logan Gilbert. Let's get started. Mariners are now 55 and 52, six games back in the American League West, three and a half games back in the wild card a plus 38 run differential and six and four in their last 10 games. Uh, Wild card race, they kind of stayed the same. They could have picked up a little bit of ground on the Red Sox, obviously, if they would have won yesterday uh, and remain again, six games back in the AL West. The trade deadline was uneventful for the Mariners. Uh, There wasn't much yesterday other than trading um, a minor league reliever Logan Reinhardt to the Baltimore Orioles for Edward Bazardo, who was a DFA'd uh, relief pitcher. Bazardo is a pitcher that I think the Mariners have been um, keeping an eye on. He's got a plus breaking ball, um, a bit more of a sweeper than a slider that he throws uh, kind of in the low 80s and a fastball that sits in the mid-90s. He's the type of pitcher you could see the Mariners uh, turning into an effective uh, an effective reliever. So they picked him up. He's 27 years old. Um, he's been pitching pretty well in AAA. Uh, I like the move. Not a big move, obviously, but a depth bullpen arm. The Mariners DFA'd Colton Wong yesterday to make room for uh, Josh Rojas and Dominic Canzoni. Uh, also traded Mike Mathias and AJ Pollock to the San Francisco Giants. I think it's either a player to be named later or Cash. And the uh, previously mentioned trade that happened last Wednesday, um, trading Mason McCoy to the Toronto Blue Jays for Trent Thornton. So really no big names heading out for the Mariners at this deadline other than uh, AJ Pollock, 
Paul Seawald, obviously, and Colton Wong. What they got back was a lot of depth, a couple of bullpen arms, and then uh, Josh Rojas, Dominic Canzoni, and Ryan Bliss, as we talked about yesterday. All in all, really, it's about the Paul Seawald trade for the three bats. Uh, National writers really dumped on uh, the Mariners. They all said essentially the same thing. Uh, CBS Sports gave the Mariners a D. They said that they didn't. They felt like the Mariners didn't get enough for Seawald. That Josh Rojas seemed like a non-tender candidate. Canzoni is is nearly 26 with no big league track record, and Ryan Bliss has drawn mixed reviews from rival talent evaluators. What I will say to that is, I tend to agree on Rojas, uh, even when he was decent in the, over the last two years, he wasn't great. I think the most uh, the two characteristics that you like about Josh Rojas are that he runs a double digit walk rate and that he's able to play a decent second, third, short, left and right field. So it's versatility and walk rate that you really get from Rojas, and he's a decent athlete. But is he a uh, an upgrade over Colton Wong? I think, as I said, slightly, but not a big one. Um, and I would not be surprised to see Josh Rojas on another team in 2024. Uh, Canzoni is, is nearly 26. Uh, obviously, CBS Sports is right about that. But just because he's almost 26 does not mean that he's not a late-blooming hitter. And the Mariners did almost exactly the same thing when trading with the Diamondbacks a couple of years back for M- Mitch Haniger. And we all know that Mitch Haniger became a pretty decent um, right-field regular for the Mariners. So what I like about Canzoni, what I saw from him in yesterday's game and what his his small sample of at-bats in the major leagues this season say to me is that he can barrel the ball. Um, he has a look of a very good hitter. He reminds me a lot of some of the boring left-handed hitters on the Twins, Max Kepler, um, Lenark, uh, or Larnick, uh, Matt Wallner, Alex Kirloff, those types of hitters who – when given plate appearances, they're able to hit, you know, 18 to 20 home runs in that range, probably more like a 240 to 260 type of hitter, but he barrels the ball. I know it's 45 plate appearances, which is a small sample, but it's a 14.7% barrel rate, an average exit velocity of over 90 miles an hour, and a hard hit rate of 47.1%. He's also run double digit walk rates in the minor league. So he, And uh, I should add that he's run uh, ground ball rates in the mid forties, which is a touch high for a hitter that you want to hit for power. But he also pulls the ball in the mid 40, um, 40%. So a left-handed pull hitter, as we know with uh, the uh, getting rid of the shift rules this year, this, this year is proving to be a positive. I think his average goes up slightly because of, the shift rules because he is a, a uh, pull hitter. I like it. I think that it's a player who didn't have a spot in the uh, Diamondbacks outfield. They obviously valued McCarthy. They obviously have Corbin Carroll. Um, they have other players on the way, but I think it's the type of player who you can get tremendous value from over the next couple of years. He's obviously controllable for a long time. He hits the ball hard. 
And he's one of three players acquired. He's not the only player that was acquired. So good things from him. He had a fly out in, uh, in this first game where it was a, uh, in the bottom of the fourth against Brian Bayo, he pulled his hands in on a 94 mile an hour sinker that was inside and he hit it to the warning track in left field. So opposite field warning track on a ball that was, um, where he really had to pull his hands in shows me that he has real power. Uh, and I think it will play. So I liked what I saw from him. Did not like what I saw from Rojas. I think, you know, Rojas is going to, in terms of results, is going to remind folks of Colton Wong to a certain extent. I don't know if the Mariners, given Wong's track record, if the Mariners would have been better off continuing to play Wong at second or if Rojas is going to be the answer. I do know that the Mariners have this trade teed up for uh, a number of days but we're insistent on um, Josh Rojas being included in the deal. So given that, you know, they obviously see something in Josh Rojas that they like. And, uh, you know, I will, I know I'm one of the few, but I will trust the Mariners in their, in that evaluation. Uh, ESPN, Dan Schoenfeld gave the Mariners a C grade for, uh, for their deadline. Um, Jim Bowden of The Athletic, who I've come to uh, not trust, and I, I don't like his evals very much, gave the Mariners a D. Uh, he felt like it. this deal was quality for quantity, and Seawald being the quality and the three hitters being quantity, he's right. But the Mariners needed depth, and the Mariners also had, um, as I said, they had, there's a ton of uh, relief pitcher depth, and they believe in their ability to produce effective relievers. So I don't get that uh, evaluation. I think if, you know, if you wanted the Mariners to do more, yes, I, I get it. But just grading based on that particular, giving a D to that trade, I don't agree with. Um, Some other thoughts uh, from more local folks. Aaron Levine, who used to be on um, Fox on uh, Fox 13, <laughs> quoted Jerry Depoto from January of 2019 when he said, while we would not anticipate that we are a threat to win the World Series in 2019, we do feel like we are better situated to do this come 2020-2021, which is basically what Jerry Depoto said yesterday, which is, you know, what is that? Three and a half years later, four and a half years later, when he said uh, regarding the Mariners at the deadline, DePoto said, we came into this deadline with the intention of doing what we could to improve our opportunities, our chances in 2023 while building a bridge to 24. And we felt like we did that. Yes, that looks bad, right? When you compare it and it's four years ago, but I'll ask, the question, what the hell did you expect the Mariners to do? What did you want them to do that they didn't do? What is it that the Mariners or Jerry DePoto could have done that would have made you happy as a Mariners fan? I'm glad that the Mariners did not trade any of their starting pitching. I'm thankful. I was worried that the Mariners would cave and trade Logan Gilbert. 
If it was for Jordan Walker, then sure, but that wasn't happening. I don't even know if George Kirby gets you Jordan Walker. And, you know, if you're giving up a, a pitcher for, as I said before, Jorge Soler, Cody Bellinger, one of those guys, you're trading from your strength for a bat and a bat that isn't going to guarantee you a big playoff run. So I looked at some of the names that were acquired in general. A lot of it was pitching. Now, that doesn't mean that some there weren't other bats that were available and weren't traded for, but Jack Flaherty. So Tommy Pham going to the Diamondbacks, I would have loved, as I said, to see Tommy Pham um, come to the Mariners. The Diamondbacks did give up a very good 17-year-old shortstop prospect um, to get him, but he would have been a great fit. Uh, he, I don't know, I, I, I've always liked Pham. Jake Berger was a bat, a third-base bat that went to uh, the Marlins, but the Marlins had to give up their um, their number four prospect in Jake Adder, a left-handed starter. Um, he has not pitched very well this season, but he would have been the equivalent of the Mariners giving up Emerson Hancock for uh, Jake Berger, who is a power-hitting third baseman, but um, has not hit very well over the last couple of months and is not necessarily a starter. The Phillies traded for Michael Lorenzen, starting pitcher. Obviously, Houston got Verlander. You're talking about like G-Man Choi as another hitter acquired. Paul DeYoung, Jammer Candelario. We went over this before. Mark Kana, uh Aaron Savali, a pitcher. CJ Cron, Randall Gritchick. These are players who, in my mind, don't make the Mariners better. And so people are upset that the Mariners didn't make more moves. But if there weren't hitters to be had, or the price of the hitters, I'm quite sure that any hitter that was going to improve the Mariners was going to have to, you were going to have to trade one of those starters to get them. Because those teams are going to insist on Gilbert, Miller, or Wu. They're going to absolutely insist on those guys. And so the Mariners are stuck in this place where they probably were going after hitters, but they didn't want to give those guys up. And the other teams refused to listen on anybody else. So what were they supposed to do, right? I get that inactivity is seen as um, as incompetence or seen as a negative by national writers, right? By local fans, by local talking heads. But a lot of times the best trade is the trade you don't make because you're holding on to your talent. I'm thankful they didn't. I give the Mariners an A. I think trading relief pitching for three bats, and even if only one of those bats is good, it's still smart. I talked yesterday about Paul Seawald's Fangraph Fangraph war numbers over the last three years. He has not exceeded 1.4 Fangraph war for the Mariners in any season. Relievers are not that valuable over the long haul. So if Canzoni is a, you know, 18 home run, strong side platoon bat for the next three years, and he gets 400, 450 plate appearances, you don't expose him that much. And he is a, say, a 115, 120 WRC plus player. Canzoni alone is worth Seawald. 
and you have that team control. Ryan Bliss is the player I am most excited about. We've seen what a lack of second base production means, how it can sink an offense. Ryan Bliss has potential. I get that that evaluators are on different sides with Bliss's evaluation. But fact of the matter is he's hitting for power. He's stealing bases. He's playing a very good middle infield defensively. He was a second-round pick, 42nd overall by the Diamondbacks a couple of years ago. They obviously valued him enough to pick him in the top 50 in that draft. So, and and Josh Rojas is a player I am not counting on being anything for the Mariners. But there's something there with Canzoni and with Bliss. I like the trade. I don't think the Mariners' bullpen suffers that much with this trade. I think really what it does is it opens up an opportunity for another bat, or excuse me, another arm that's sitting in the minor leagues waiting for an opportunity. The Mariners print those. I've said that before. So what I did is I went through the wildcard competitors in the American League West because I wanted to see what moves other teams made. And I wanted to compare this to Seattle. So Tampa Bay is uh, atop the wildcard race. They traded away Luis Patino to the White Sox for cash. He was a um, a high, a top 50 prospect. Previously, he was traded from San Diego to Tampa Bay, I believe in the Cronenworth trade. They traded him to the White Sox, kind of gave up on him. The big deal that they made was they traded first base prospect and Washington State alum, Kyle Manzardo, who was a top 50 prospect, um, in my mind, a good left-handed bat who only this year has started hitting the ball for power, um, but a very, very good hitter for starting pitcher Aaron Savali from the Cleveland Guardians. Savali has pitched above uh, his stuff this season, but Savali has proven to be a very good middle-of-the-rotation starter for Cleveland. So obviously Tampa Bay saw something in him. They were willing to give up Manzardo for him. Um, Tampa's always acquiring pitching. I think this is a nice deal for them. It helps their major league team. Uh, they're atop the wild card standings currently. Houston traded for Kendall Graveman, uh, gave up minor league catcher Corey Lee, uh, acquired Jake Cousins, who was DFA'd by the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, but Cousins has put up big, big, big strikeout rates in the past, kind of fits the Houston bill. And then obviously traded Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, their number one and two prospects for Justin Verlander. So, they shored up their pitching by getting Verlander, Graveman, and Cousins. Um, we all know Houston is a force, uh, and they're smart. Toronto traded for they. Toronto is the third wild card currently. They traded for Paul DeYoung, Henesis Cabrera, left-handed reliever, and Jordan Hicks, hard-throwing sinker ball, um, late-inning reliever. All three players came from uh, St. Louis. I don't. None of those players moved the needle for me. Paul DeYoung is. Uh, pretty much a stand-in for Bo Bichette until he comes back from his knee injury. Cabrera has been good in the past as a left-handed reliever, not so much the last couple of years. And Jordan Hicks throws a 103-mile-an-hour sinker that he doesn't really know where it's going. So I'd say that's kind of a, a, a neutral sort of deadline for the Blue Jays. Boston Red Sox didn't do much. They traded for Luis Urias, who was a uh, middle infield, third base, right-handed hitter for the Brewers. Changed his plate approach a couple of years ago to have a lot more loft, um, but is kind of a 
probably won't do much for the Red Sox. And they traded away Kike Hernandez to the Dodgers. So Boston was very inactive as well. The Angels, we've talked about. The only other thing they really did was traded for our former Mariner relief pitcher, Dominic Leone, um, along with obviously Grichuk Crone, Reynaldo Lopez, and Lucas Giolito. Uh, they also have injuries with reliever Ben Joyce, Taylor Ward, and Griffin Canning all on the injured list, and they DFA'd Jared Walsh. So the Angels were very active. None of those moves uh, moved the needle for me, and they gave up their number one prospect and their best starting pitching prospect in the process. Uh, that weakens the Angels long-term in my mind and does not get them to the playoffs. I should say, with regards to uh, the Astros, this also weakens the Astros for years to come. You can expect Verlander to uh, to be kind of on the downslope. He obviously is with his career and his age. And they gave up their top two hitting prospects in order to do so. So Houston is all in for this year. But I think down the road, we will see the impact of them trading those bats. Yankees didn't do much. They're next in the standings um, behind the Angels. They acquired Spencer Howard, who used to be a starting pitching prospect, is now uh, at best a number five starter. And Kenyon Middleton, relief pitcher for the White Sox, former Mariners relief pitcher. Yankees fans were upset they didn't do more. Aaron Judge came off the IL. Uh, Nestor Cortez is on a rehab assignment, and they got Carlos Rodon back uh, a while ago. So they're more expecting players to come back from injury than they are any acquisitions, but they clearly don't think they're a playoff team, um, despite what Brian Cashman said. The Guardians are right behind the Mariners at six games out of the wild card. They were in sell mode. So they traded Ahmed Rosario to the Dodgers for North Syndergaard and Cash. Syndergaard has been straight trash this year. And they traded Josh Bell, their first baseman, who I thought the Mariners could think about um, as a target. They had signed him to a two-year contract. They traded him to the Miami Marlins for Gene Segura and Khalil Watson. Really, this trade was about Khalil Watson, who was a high draft pick of the Marlins a couple years ago, has had some... um, on-field behavioral stuff, uh, was chasing everything last season in the batter's box. K-rate has come down below 30%, still not hitting for a high average, but power speed shortstop prospect. So you go down that list, it's a long list, but you don't see anything, well, I'm, and obviously the Rangers, if we're talking about the AL West, we, we talked yesterday about the acquisitions of Jordan Montgomery, Chris Stratton, Max Scherzer. Um, but they also traded Luis Angel Acuna away to acquire them and are starting to hit the top of that pay, payroll threshold. So all three of those teams are playing for 2023, playing a bit for 24, but are not set up to be successful after that. Mariners, on the other hand, held on to young, controllable pitching, have a core of young hitters who are very young. Right. So you've got Julio at 22. You've got Kelnick at 23. You can add Kenzoni to that, who's 26. Jonathan Classe is on the way. He's 21. Right. Ryan Bliss, if he's your starting second baseman next year, is 24. Cal Raleigh, mid 20s. You've got this young core of hitters that you expect to continue to ascend. Meanwhile, you have a huge mountain of start controlled starting pitching 
cost-controlled starting pitching. Years of controlled starting pitching, right? Castillo signed a five-year contract. You've got Kirby until, I believe, 28. You've got Gilbert until 27. You've got Bryce Miller and Brian Wu until 2029-2030. Mariners are set up to dominate the AL West. Dominate, not contend, dominate. The other three teams are going to be on the downslope pretty damn soon. So, yeah, are the Mariners going to make the playoffs this season? Likely no, right? I think their their Fangraphs playoff percentage is something like 14% right now. So likely no. And I'm glad that we have a general manager in the front office who are willing to be honest and look at the team objectively. If they didn't and they mortgage the farm for some off chance that they make the playoffs the way that the Angels did, I know that the Angels were motivated by Otani and trying to re-sign him, but I'd be pissed. I want to see a great team for a long time. If they needed to, you know, if the Mariners were on the cusp and you felt like this is a World Series winning team, then sure, you trade Harry Ford because he's not helping you this year. But that's not who the Mariners are. Fans, Twitter folk, Dave Softy Mahler, Mike Salk, all these guys, they want the Mariners to make the big splashy move. And that's not who the Mariners are, right? The Mariners are not going to go out and spend and buy a Ferrari. The Mariners are going to go buy a work truck that's going to be their commuter as well. That's going to allow them, It's going to. they're going to have for the next 20 years, that's going to allow them to continue to work and continue to build. I like it. This is what I've always wanted from the Mariners. I wanted them to build from within. The teams that produce young, controllable talent, that have great talent evaluation, are the teams that win. I want the Mariners to be smart. Obviously, they're not the Dodgers, right? We know that. They don't have the financial might, or you might be able to argue that they do, but they're not going to use the financial might that the Dodgers do. That's just... That's the reality of the situation. They're not going to spend the money. You can scream and yell and kick and tweet and be angry about who they didn't sign. By the way, Trey Turner is hitting six for the Phillies and he has a sub 700 OPS. Xander Bogertz is hitting fifth or sixth for the Padres and has a sub 750 OPS. These were both $300 million shortstop signings. I am glad that the Mariners didn't do that. I They're smart. Mariners get an A from me. Jerry Poto gets an A. There wasn't the bat to put them over the top available unless you're dealing from starting pitching, and I did not want them to do that. Meanwhile, all the other teams went all in, let them fight it out, and then win the next five years. That works for me. All right. Trade deadline's over. Trade deadline's passed. Um, I do expect the Mariners to continue to work on the margins. Uh, we'll talk about Trent Thornton in a minute. The Edward Bazardo acquisition, it may be nothing, but he may be another effective seventh inning reliever. He's He may be a Ty Adcock or an Isaiah Campbell or a Devin Sweet or a Juan Ten, right? Those guys are valuable. You need those guys eventually. He might be an eighth inning reliever for all we know. I like the acquisition. 
So the Mariners last night lost 6-4 to the Boston Red Sox. Um, really, this is mostly about uh, Bryce Miller. Didn't pitch very well. Gave up six runs. Um, he's the reason why the Mariners lost. Uh, the offense was okay. Uh, Gino Suarez is heating up. He went two for four. He had a run, three RBIs, hit a home run. Um, he was guessing changeup from Bayo. It was a changeup that was low and in. He hit it out to left field. Julio Rodriguez went one for five. He continues to get horrible calls on pitches that he takes. I don't blame him to a certain extent for swinging at everything because of calls like that. It's got to be incredibly frustrating for him. Horrible call on the first pitch to Julio in the bottom of the first. It was way inside. It was called a strike. So he singled to left field in that at-bat at 116.7. It was the hardest hit ball from Julio Rodriguez this season. Um, But the offense didn't come through. Offense had second and third with no outs in the first. They were up one nothing already. Didn't score. Ended up bases loaded. Didn't score. Canzoni flew out to right field, not deep enough to drive the run in. Ty France struck out on a low and in changeup. It's a difficult pitch to hit off of Bayo. It's his best pitch. It is a 40% whiff pitch. But still, you needed Ty France to hit a fly ball. And then Mike Ford grounded out. Um, other notes, hitter-wise, from this game. Uh, Ty France went three for four. Ty France is just being Ty France, two doubles and a single. Um, still think the Mariners will... will uh, take a different approach at first base next season. The Rojas at bats looked bad. Josh Rojas went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Um but I don't I don't think they have anything in him. I just he it's like a less uh explosive uh lower ceiling Colton Wong in some ways. Not excited about him. I hope I'm wrong. I think I'm right. And then I want to mention as well, Cade Marlowe hit ninth and played left field and went two for four with the run. But he looks for real. He can go opposite field. He looks to have a better hit tool than I think evaluators um, saw in him. You know, there's a lot of 45s I saw as far as his hit tool. I think he's a 50 with the potential to get to 55. Um, I like him. And I think that if the Mariners don't carry or don't sign a corner outfielder in free agency, that you let Canzoni, Marlowe, Classe kind of fight it out to see who is going to start, at least be the strong side platoon corner outfielder for the Mariners next year. They're going to need someone to take that role that A.J. Pollock was supposed to fill as the right-handed hitting corner outfielder to platoon. But if you have Kelnick, you have Marlowe, you have Canzoni, you have Classe, of those four, there's a very good chance that two of them are going to be good. Um, I like Cade Marlowe. I think at at minimum, he is a very nice fourth outfielder for this team um, that's going to provide speed, power, defense, and if the hit tool continues to look the way it's looked so far, um, they're on to something. So I, I wanted to mention Marlowe. I like him a lot. Uh, so Bryce Miller took the loss, seven and four. He went five and two-thirds, seven hits, six runs, two walks, four strikeouts. He surrendered two home runs, 
14 of the 26 batters he faced were first pitch strikes. Um, but something very interesting in this game from Bryce Miller. So prior to this game, Bryce Miller had really not thrown many sinkers. He threw before the twin before his last start against the twins on July 26th. He he had thrown five sinkers total in all of his starts. Against the twins on the 26th, he threw seven sinkers. Tonight's game, Bryce Miller threw 10 sinkers. He's obviously learning this pitch, incorporating this pitch. It falls directly in line with Mariner's pitching philosophy in terms of um, right-handed starters being able to throw the four-seamer and the sinker. Um, You see George Kirby do it. You see Brian Wu do it. Um, Now you're seeing Bryce Miller do the same thing. Uh, He he still threw 56% fastball, four-seam fastball down from the 66% uh, that he's thrown so far this season. Velo was down slightly on all of his pitches. Um, was up on the on the one sweeper that he threw, but fastball, slider, sinker were all down about um, a half a tick. But he, so he threw 22% slider, which was about what he's done over the season. He only threw... Uh, the one sweeper, and he's he's been throwing six percent sweeper. He was eleven percent changeup and eleven percent sinker. So the changeup was up over the five percent this season. So he threw eleven percent changeup, eleven percent sinker, lessened the four seam usage, basically dumped the sweeper, or excuse me, eleven percent sinker, eleven percent changeup, dumped the sweeper, and went slider fastball. So. Long way of saying he's introduced a new pitch. I am very interested to see if he does what the other Mariners pitchers have done, which is to use the sinker against righties. Um, He still needs help against left-handers. And so I'm, I'm curious to see what the attack plan is. I know he's been throwing more sliders against lefties, uh, but he's following along the same developmental path that we've seen from Wu and we've seen from Kirby. So my next question with Bryce Miller is, I wonder if they introduce the splitter because the splitter is becoming a pitch that is used more by Mariner starters, right? Talked about George Kirby using it. Obviously, Logan Gilbert took on the splitter at the beginning of the season. Um, We will see. But interesting development from him. Obviously, he was not effective in this game. Uh, 21% whiff rate. Eight of his 10 whiffs were on four-seamers. Um, one whiff on the slider, one whiff on the sinker. Uh, so whiff rate was below league average. Uh, velocity was pretty steady. But again, interesting development, seeing him throw 10 sinkers in this game. Um, something to watch for. A lot of fun. Kind of stuff I get excited about. Uh, Trent Thornton, who was acquired from the Blue Jays, as I said, for Mason McCoy. Uh, last week went two and a third. One hit, three strikeouts. He was fun to watch. Um, I was really surprised by what I saw. I was surprised that the Blue Jays would give up on an arm like this. Uh, he's 29 years old, six foot 190. Originally drafted by the Astros in 2015 in the fifth round. He was a starter coming up. 
He started 29 games in 2019. He threw 154 in the third innings. Um, he was okay. He started six games since. Uh, in last year, he was 0-2 with the 4-1-1 ERA in 46 innings. Um, his velocity on the fastball this season is 94-1. Uh, that's higher than it's been in any other season. He's going to throw a fastball um, primarily to lefties. He's going he's going with the four-seamer. Uh, he mixes in the curve to lefties and then sinker to both. Righties get primarily the sweeper, and the sweeper is the pitch that I think differentiates him from uh, other pitchers that we've seen on the Mariners. Believe it or not, his sweeper, so the average velocity on the sweeper for him, he threw it 12 times, 39% in this game was uh 79.4 miles an hour spin rate on this sweeper was 2959 rpms his yearly average on the sweeper is over 3000 rpms you do not see breaking balls with 3000 plus rpms very often seth lugo's curveball jackson Job's slider when he was drafted there aren't a ton of them dustin may Tyler Glass now, those types of dudes. So to see a 3,000 RPM spin sweeper from a pitcher that the Mariners picked up is nice. Uh, and he looked good. It, it looked like it looked like a legitimate plus pitch when watching the game. He mixes in um, the fastball, like I said, at you know about 94 miles an hour. He threw five curves and four sinkers as well. But a pitcher that I think is going to be very effective for the Mariners against, for sure against right-handers, um, gives them a different look, right? We don't, I guess Matt Brash has a breaking ball that looks similar to Thornton Sweeper, but this is a, a different look. And I think he's going to be an arm that is um, that is going to take on some important innings for the Mariners down the stretch. I liked it a lot. You didn't give up much for him. You gave up a, a middle infielder that probably wasn't going to ever play for the Mariners in a big league team to get a reliever who is going to obviously can pitch multiple innings. He threw two and a third innings yesterday. Um, nice trade and fun pitcher to watch. Uh, Devin Sweet pitched the ninth one inning. He one hit, got his first strikeout of his major league career. So again, Mariners lose six, four. Uh, Suarez hit a home run. It's the first look at at Canzoni and um, Rojas as Mariners. Uh, Cade Marlowe, like I said, deserved mention. Bryce Miller was not good, but threw a very interesting pitch in the sinker. Um, I want to see what that develops into. Trent Thornton looks like a keeper. Uh, again, they lose. Today's game is uh, starts at one o'clock. I think one ten. The matchup pitching matchup is Cutter Crawford versus Logan Gilbert. Cutter Crawford is 27 years old, right-handed starting pitcher. He was drafted by the Red Sox in the 16th round, um, I believe in 18, but don't quote me on that. Uh, I did not write down in my notes when he was drafted. 2017, excuse me. Uh, arbitration eligible in 26, free agent 29. He, so far this season in 77 innings, is 5-5, five and five, 386 ERA, 109 whip. 76 strikeouts in 77 innings. Babip left on base percentage. Um, nothing really to speak of. 
a fly ball pitcher, 37.9% ground balls, uh, 5.8% walk rate, which is pretty low, 24.5% strikeout rate. So very close to that 20% K minus BB number, almost a 13% swinging strike rate, 12.9%. That's nice. He's been better against righties than lefties. Lefties, a 201 average, 389 slug versus righties, 257 average, 421 slug. Um, very good on the road, 236 ERA, 603 ERA at home. Um, not sure what that's, uh, what you attribute that to other than Boston is a pretty nice hitters park specifically for right-handed hitters. Uh, big spin fastball, 90th percentile, uh, fastball spin fastball averages 94 miles an hour, throws it about 39% of the time. Uh, hitters are hitting 173 against the fastball. Um, also throws the cutter 29% of the time. So 68.5% of the time it's fastball or cutter. Uh, the cutter is not as effective of a pitch as the fastball is. Um, 293 average against mixes in uh, a split finger to lefties and then a sweeper and a slider to righties. Curveball um, throws it primarily to lefties, but also against right-handers. So he's got really six pitches that he throws um, a bit, but primarily fastball cutter. The only one with double-digit usage is that curve. Uh Zone contact rate is way below league average at 76.6%. Hard to pick up. Nice moving on the pitches. Um, whiff rate is just above league average. So Cutter Crawford, quality starter, quality pitcher, uh, probably slots in number four for the Red Sox uh, for the next number of years as providing health, um, but a good-looking pitcher. Logan Gilbert goes for the Mariners, uh, 95, 383 ERA, 106 whip, 121 strikeouts in 124.2 innings. Nothing more to speak of on Gilbert. Um, we've talked about him a lot. I do think it's interesting that he's about a run and a half worse at home than on the road. Uh, starting to throw the splitter a bit more. Uh, 22 of his 93 pitches against Arizona in his last start on the 28th were splitters. Uh, up to that point in time, he's throwing about 13% split fingers, so really increased the usage in his last start. That's something to watch as well. Uh, should be a fun game. I think it's a big game for the Mariners. If they can win this, they took they would have taken another series. They would have gained a game on one of their wild card, card competitors and head into the weekend with some momentum. So should be fun. That was, uh, this has been a long Mariners cast, obviously tons to uh, cover with regards to the trade deadline passing and the Mariners, um, I guess, one big move, but a lack of activity outside of that. Again, I give the Mariners an A. Uh, I'm on the complete opposite end of the spectrum from the national pundits. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. We will recap um, this afternoon's game. We'll talk about the upcoming series this weekend. Uh, appreciate the listen. Once again, this was the Mariners cast. We are presented by Sports Ethos. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20. That's T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. And the podcast at 
Ethos Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. I appreciate the listen. Enjoy this afternoon game. Hopefully you get to get out in the sunshine. It is going to be almost 100 degrees here in Walla Walla. Uh, take care, y'all. Enjoy. Go Mariners. Peace.